Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are more excited than ever to welcome you to our second season. We're about midway through it, but we're so excited to help you to continue to explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung, and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview some very interesting experts for today's show on Earth Day 2021, Restoring Our Earth. Specifically, we're going to talk about restoration and mitigation. Youth lead the way in policy and action. Climate change activism is nothing new, but the role of youth in it today is. Today's youth reject the idea that they are junior auxiliaries to adult movements. They challenge the traditional rule of older people over the young, and most radically, perhaps of all, they uphold the interests of future generations as equal to those of present ones. From Jakarta to New York City, children, teenagers, and young people are walking out of class, marching in the streets, organizing and promoting policy to demand action on climate change. And the world is taking note. Communications experts say these climate activists are using their moral authority as youth and their social savvy to surf a rising tide of adult concern. Young people have actually been talking about climate change for decades, but the latest generation of protesters is louder and more coordinated than its predecessors, says Dana Fisher, a sociologist at the University of Maryland in College Park, who studies activism specifically. The movement's visibility on social media and in the press has actually created a feedback loop. Young people are getting so much attention that it draws more and more young people into the movement, she says. Also, researchers say because young climate protesters don't represent someone else's agenda, then their message is strikingly direct and unvarnished. They can say a lot of things that perhaps older activists can't say. Some of their concern is related to natural disasters thought to be exacerbated by climate change, such as the record-breaking forest fires in the western U.S. and Australia, more violent and damaging hurricanes, snows, and rains, and other stuff. Activism constitutes, though, a major aspect of environmental citizenship, allowing citizens to become more active problem solvers instead of simple spectators relying only on experts' opinion. Consequently, youth involvement in activism initiates a key element in education as well as preparation for environmental citizenship and future and political engagement and empowers them as agents of change who are capable of devising and implementing individual and collective actions aimed at solving contemporary environmental problems and other problems of our world today and in the future. 
This is a lot, but it's extremely interesting. And here today to help us explore and unpack some of this is a stellar panel of folks from a very diverse spectrum of involvement and interest. And I am just so excited and so honored that we could get this group of people. Here today we have Ariman Singhal with the Sunrise Movement Dallas. Ehrman is actually co-founder of Sunrise Movement Dallas. And Sunrise is a youth-led movement to make stopping climate change an urgent priority, to elect leaders who stand up for health and well-being of all people, and to create millions of good jobs in the process. Now, prior to co-founding Sunrise Movement Dallas, Ehrman was chief operating officer of Groundwork Dallas, which is a youth-oriented environmental steward organization where I had the pleasure of serving with him there as a board member, and he helped to lead the organization to a number of awards and recognition. Ehrman is also a graduate of UT Austin, which is my alma mater also. <laughs> there, he was a Bill Archer Fellow, which allowed him to train in the nation's capital on public policy, government, and advocacy, as well as interning at the World Resources Institute, who was here with us last week. Welcome, Ehrman. We're so glad you could be with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Our other guest is Elizabeth Ibarra. Elizabeth is with the Youth Versus Apocalypse Group. Elizabeth is a 16-year-old organizer from Richmond, California, with, again, Youth versus Apocalypse, which is a diverse group of young climate justice advocates based in the Bay Area of California. And they're working together to lift the voices of youth, in particular youth of color, and fight for a livable climate and an equitable, sustainable, and just world. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We're glad that you could be with us today. Thank you for having me. And our other guest is Grace Ettinger. Grace is with EarthForce. She is the chief program officer at EarthForce, and they are an international nonprofit that engages youth as environmental problem solvers, addressing real issues around urban waters, sustainability, and climate change, and preparing young people to be environmental decision makers. As EarthForce's chief program officer, Grace leads their program delivery and development. And her degrees in biology and zoology and her experience in leading outreach programs and conducting original research brings a suite of skills to Earth Force and their youth preparedness work. Welcome, Grace. We're so glad that you could be with us today. Thanks for having me. And again, we're just so excited because, as you can see, this is such a well-rounded and diverse group of folks. They are indeed going to make us all much smarter today. So let's start out with each of you, and we'll start with Elizabeth. If you would tell our listeners a little bit about your organization, how and when and why your organization got started, and what kinds of people are involved in that organization, what's your vision and goal? Thank you. Yeah, so Youth versus Apocalypse started off with a campaign called No Coal in Oakland. And basically there was a coal terminal trying to be built in Oakland. Um, and the youth came together because it was a wealthy, um, a wealthy man, his name was Sosagami. And he was basically trying to build this coal terminal in a community of primarily low income people of color, which was just gonna make like all of the pollution, everything that this community was already facing much worse. So that's how Euphoria's Apocalypse started. And then we kind of expanded to not just um, in Oakland, it became an organization. We recently actually just became an organization last year, but we 
are a group of climate justice activists who are basically fighting for a just sustainable world, meaning that we're not just fighting for um, climate change, um, because we know that the climate crisis is a crisis that has primarily been impacting low-income Black Indigenous people of color. But when thinking about climate justice, you're also thinking about the way people are living on this planet. So we focus, or our analysis on climate justice is very intersectional, and we have expanded and have, we have thousands of people that are a part of Youth Race Apocalypse and thousands of supporters, but we are mainly people of color that lead the organization, and it's mainly youth that lead the organization. So we currently have six active campaigns and a couple other things, so I'm going to pass it back to you. Grace, tell us about Earth Force. Earth Force has been around a really long time, actually, since before I've been born. Um, it was started in really like the 80s with a group of young people who saw trash in the river and wanted to change it at a sustainable level. So they used civic tools, they used their city councils and local government to get big um, corporations to change their policies. And basically Earth Force was a way to figure out how we can replicate that for students all over. So um, since then we've developed a whole bunch of tools and resources and work with teachers all over the US and Canada to help students make sustainable change in their community. Indeed. And we wanna move on to Erin Manel. Tell us about Sunrise Movement Dallas. Yeah, well, Sunrise Movement Dallas, uh, we are a youth-led organization to stop climate change and create millions of good jobs in the process. And as Elizabeth was saying, we also take very seriously how climate justice is connected to racial justice and economic justice. And I think Elizabeth laid it out really well. And one other way of thinking about that is that we are not going to stop climate change unless we take seriously addressing systemic racism and income inequality in our country. We are uh, young people all across the nation, not just in Dallas. Sunrise Movement is nationwide. You can find us on sunrisemovement.org. And we strive to be multiracial and cross-class because we think that's the movement that's needed to win. Uh, this year, we are focused on a good jobs for all guarantee, which would say that anybody who wants a job coming out of this COVID recession and crisis has the opportunity to get a good job that pays living wages, that has benefits, and that work can be uh, helping address the climate crisis, systemic racism, income inequality in this country. We have been with, and will continue to be, with Elizabeth Abera with Youth Versus Apocalypse, with Grace Edinger with Earth Force, and with Erin Singhall with the Sunrise Movement Dallas. Thank you guys, we'll be right back on the other side. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors, that is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, interactive experiences, and now EarthX streaming TV. Our other sponsors, Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available online download free at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening, 
plan education, concierge services, DYI classes and gifts. Check them out at NHG.com and our other sponsors, Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at LynnDentalCare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. Back to today's episode on restoration and mitigation, restoring our earth. Youth lead the way with policy and action. And we are back with Lisbeth Abera with Youth versus Apocalypse, Grace Edinger with Earth Force, and Ariman Singhal with Sunrise Movement Dallas. And they were just telling us about their various organizations. And as I was talking on the break, I can imagine that either in the past, now, or perhaps even in the future, these groups will be working with each other. But again, we're just so excited to have them to educate us because of the fact that they allow us to almost look at this area of youth activism and policy in other areas, almost with a broad spectrum because it covers so many areas of it. So you all were telling us about your organizations and how you're honoring Earth Day. Now I want to ask, and I want to start this off with Grace. What can or what do our youth do that others don't or can't do as it relates to climate change and protecting our environment? And why should people care about youth activism? I think what's really interesting, and there's some developmental science about this as well, that um, young people, specifically around middle school ages, like fifth through 10th grade, they're at a developmental stage where the world is their oyster, essentially. They are learning their behaviors that carry with them throughout the rest of their lives and kind of getting like a foundation in who they are in their community. And so what's really great about youth activism is that as they develop these activist skills, these skills to use democracy to make the change they want, that carries with them, right? So me, an adult, if I just started doing this stuff and dabbling, I might not latch on to it like I would if I was 12. So I think it's really important that we foster this creativity and the spirit that young people have to really create sustainable change for the future. Right. So that's why I'm passionate about it. And there's a lot of research that supports that work as well. Indeed. And Elizabeth, I see that you're kind of nodding there. You want to weigh in on that as a 16 year old. And by the way, how long have you been involved in this movement? Yeah, I've been involved in this movement for, I would say, I feel like my whole life I've kind of been involved in it, but specifically climate justice organizing for over a year. Um, And yeah, and I definitely want to agree with what Grace is saying. I would say like as a young person, I definitely see that coming into play because like I said, like my whole life, it's just something that I've always been interested in. Like, oh, like I keep hearing about like, oh, all these wildfires or like our polluted ocean or um, like we're killing the oceans or polluted air, this and that. But I feel like also as a young person living in this world, um, it's really important for you to like speak up for your future because if you don't, then no one else, we can see like what, the people who were supposed to be our leaders have already done for us, um, which is not a lot. So we kind of have to take matters into our own hands and do these things for our future generations to come. Um, you know, so I feel like I definitely uh, agree with what you were saying, Grace. Indeed, Elizabeth. I needed you in the room at a meeting 
that I recently attended, and I was telling someone what I do about the show, and one lady there said, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I'll be dead and gone. Yes. Well, the other ladies really jumped in on that. I didn't have to say a word. When they finished with her, she says, oh, yeah, you're right, but I definitely needed you. <laughs> so thank you for saying that. Erin, then you want to weigh in on that. How do you see that? What can you do that others can't? And why should people care about youth activism? Yeah, well, I think one thing that I see is that youth just bring a fresh perspective to the climate conversation. And one of the things I love most about that is just imagining what the future could look like. And what I think about is being able to walk from my home to a bus station and an electric bus comes and picks me up. And maybe along the way, there's a small community farm that our neighbors take care of and where we get fresh and healthy produce. And that world already exists in small pockets of the country and around the world. And what we really need is the political will to make that bigger and like create more of those jobs in those communities. Uh, and that's going to make our lives better and it's going to stop the climate crisis. And so I just, I think youth have brought forward this energy of how the world could be so much better when we stop climate change. And I think people should pay attention and get excited about it because it's going to benefit them in their communities. And it's not just, it's not a struggle that they're, going through to just ward off climate change is also about that aspirational hope of a society that we can live in. Indeed, climate change, environmentalism, and all of these issues are all inextricably connected. And that's the focus of Healthy Living, Healthy Planet really is to show people that. You know, on our show, every month we dig into different environmental issues, but we see over and over again, and we hope that we are causing others to see that they are inextricably connected, or as we like to say, there's an unbreakable relationship. And so you all are at that same aim. Let me ask you this, and I want to start this with Grace as well. What do you see are the main drivers of youth activism, and what areas or issues are you seeing that get the most attention or perhaps that get the most youth involvement? I think that it's the whole gambit, essentially. So we see a lot of climate change activism, especially with like these guys right here embodying that really well. But we also see a lot of activism around gun violence with all the shootings happening in schools lately. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement has had a really amazing youth turnout as well. And so I think young people are just really able to internalize their lived experience and want to make that world better, right? And so... Um, I personally work more in the environmental and climate space, so I'm working with young people around those issues, but it's, it's a super wide and broad net, and I think it's really great and important that we have that youth voice in social justice issues and in climate change issues. Like you said, they're all intertwined, and so having that presence is really important. Indeed. In your work, and I know you all do a lot of education and organizing work, but do you find, or are you finding, and it may not be your experience, but do you find that youth maybe are drawn to any particular issues or preponderance of them are drawn to any particular issue? Well, within climate change, um, I think it really depends on where young people live. So we work a lot in the West, um, like in the Rocky Mountains, we see tons of student involvement around flooding issues and around wildfire issues because they're plaguing their community more and more every year. Um, on the East Coast, we see a lot more involvement around water pollution and health, um, invasive species that are going through like the Chesapeake Bay, like I mentioned before. And so I think it's 
it's really rooted in their lives, which is something that we advocate for. Not what we're telling them to do. It's what they see and the problems that they want to solve themselves. And Elizabeth, what about you from where you sit in your work in the Bay Area? And I know that you probably engage with other youth organizations as well in some other places. Do you see any particular issue that is drawing the attention of youth or around which they are engaged or that allows y'all to get a lot more people into the movement? Yeah, definitely. I feel like personally, as someone who lives in Richmond, um, we I definitely see a driving force being environmental racism. Um, and also, like I was talking about earlier, um, in Oakland, how we had the coal terminal trying, uh, being built there. And a lot of the Bay Area, I feel like it's because a lot of, like, we're people of color who are literally being digged into a deeper hole and we're being economically exploited, but also our health is being exploited. We have higher rates of cancer and asthma. Um, so I think that one of the driving forces is, like, personally, apart from, like, obviously, like, thinking about the future and, like, oh, I want my children to have a healthy planet, also thinking about, like, our lives right now and our public health um, and those kinds of things, because as young people, they're not things that we necessarily need to be thinking about right now, but it's things that we've been forced to have to think about because, um, because we've been failed as young people. So, yeah, I definitely think that's a driving force. Indeed, Elizabeth, and thank you so much for bringing that up, because that's, again, another focal point for Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, is we connect health impacts with environmental issues, and we're seeing that that gets our people's attention and allows us to do some environmental literacy in order to bring about that environmental empathy that we need a lot more of, so right on point. And Ehrman, uh, what particular drivers are you seeing? Well, I think everything that Grace and Elizabeth said are are spot on. I think when I think back on the last 10, 12 years, I think young people who are growing up today, they lived through the financial crisis. They've lived through, especially in Texas, um, Hurricane Harvey, the winter freeze, the pandemic. And it just seems like it's crisis after crisis after crisis. And with George Floyd's death, with um, Dante Wright's being, being killed, just yeah, I think it was yesterday. Um, it, it just, it's very clear that there are so many things in our society that are broken. And it's also very clear that the politicians in charge um, are, are not taking those things seriously. And we feel this compulsion to change the society that we want to live in and grow up in. And uh, I think in Texas, especially after the freeze a few months ago, there's a lot of activation around that and saying we can't let that happen again. And we are going to take it into our own hands to tell the story of that crisis and put forward solutions that are not just, it's not just what is the technical solution, it's how do we create the political will to actually change those things. Indeed, Ehrman. And a lot of us, me being one of them, are riding on your backs there because me and my neighbors are wondering, with things being this bad in the cold, what do we have to look forward to in the summer? What's the step beyond rolling blackouts? Like, no power. In any case, thank you so much. And I hear all of you all basically saying that many times you start with a local issue, an issue that's in your face that's affecting you. But after that, it begins to grow and grow to overall involvement. Makes sense. Indeed, thank you. And we're going to go to break now, after which we will continue this very, very interesting conversation. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. To today's very interesting show on Earth Day 2021, Restoring Our Earth, Restoration and Mitigation. Specifically, we're talking about how youth lead the way in terms of policy and action. And we are here with three very impressive people from various activism spectrum. That is Ariman Singhal with Sunrise Movement Dallas, Grace Edinger with Earth Force, and Lisbeth Abera, who is 16, with Youth versus apocalypse. And what is so interesting to me and what is just exciting me so much about all of y'all is that you represent these different spectrums. Grace with Earth Force is primarily about educating and organizing and facilitating. Elizabeth at 16 is an actual on-the-ground volunteer youth activist. And Araman and Sunrise Movement Dallas also organizes, and they are a lot more on the policy and the political spectrum. And so between the three of them, they are just really helping us to understand. But most of all, what they're doing for me, and I hope that they're doing for our listeners, is engaging us and getting us fired up <laughs> about what they're doing. So again, thank you all for being with us. So now to start talking about, and we'll start this off with Araman because this is more his wheelhouse, and that is, how are you seeing youth activism affect the politics of climate change? Uh, well, I think one of the, just tracing some of the history uh, in, as the 2020 presidential campaign was ramping up, Sunrise was putting a lot of pressure on our politicians and the Democratic National Convention to hold a climate debate. That didn't happen, but there was the CNN climate town halls. Every major candidate released a comprehensive or a climate plan. Some of them were comprehensive, some of them were not. It was asked about in all of the debates, and President Biden now has put forward what is a historic investment in stopping climate change in his infrastructure package, and we hold that to be true, and we also know that that investment is not enough, and we're calling for that to be $10 trillion over 10 years. But what I think we've seen is that this is a political issue that has been started to be taken seriously. We are starting to make those historic investments. And what we need to see next is for those political leaders to have the courage to do what's needed and make that case. And we're going to help them make that case, telling the stories of our own lives uh, in Texas, in California, around the world, around the country, of how climate change has affected us and what we all have to gain from a future with guaranteed jobs that are helping solve the climate crisis. And I love it that you're all doing it from different perspectives. Grace, you want to weigh in on that in terms of how youth activism has affected the politics of climate change from where you sit? I'd love to. Yeah, we actually have a really good example. So I think I'm going to speak through story for this question. Okay. Um, so we had a group of middle schoolers a few years ago that had mushrooms growing out of their classroom wall. This okay. is in Northern Virginia. And so they were seeing students and teachers developing breathing issues, medical problems, um, and all kinds of stuff. So they essentially went to the school board and said, hey, you guys need to remediate this mold and fungal problem that we have growing in our school building. And the school district essentially said, eh, we don't really have the money to do that, sorry, and just kind of sent them on their way. Um, they obviously did not like that response. So they took it up with the Virginia State legislation um, and got a bill passed actually earlier this year, uh, making every school district in the state of Virginia have a plan and budget for mold remediation um, and planning. 
And it's surprising that that honestly doesn't exist, but there's a whole handful of states that still don't have policies like that in place. And they're currently taking it up to the federal level to try and make that a blanket policy. So I think, um, I think young people get listened to when they really know what they're speaking about and have the knowledge base to speak to issues. Um, politicians are much more likely, we find, to take a meeting with young people than take a meeting from people like myself, adults working in this space. And so I think there's a huge um, potential for youth activism at a very high level in our government. I think we just need to help foster those skills and motivations for them to really understand how our government works and how to influence it. And Elizabeth, yeah. what has been y'all's experience with the political environment in terms of change or just what have you seen happen? Yeah, in terms of change, I definitely feel like politicians haven't always been used to young people speaking up. Um, so now that like there's like a, a huge amount of young people like pressuring our politicians and telling them to stop rolling out fossil fuel permits and to roll out buffer zones and to like stop investing into the fossil fuel industry and instead invest in like in something else. I think it's definitely like made a difference because young people have been we've been doing a lot of the pressuring and we've been like we've been utilizing social media especially to tell them um like stop doing this we this is why we don't want you to do this and we definitely like when thinking about like policies we also make sure that we're including a lot of our own personal stories and narratives um through social media and just trying to like trying to get the attention of politicians who have the power to make global impact with the decisions that they're making. Are you all seeing some politicians out there that are really throwing in with you, throwing their reputations behind you, being great supporters of what you do, wanting to help carry your flag forward? Ehrman, you can start out on that. Sunrise really took off uh, in 2019 after doing a sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez actually joined in that sit-in. And there are a number of Green New Deal champions in Congress. So thinking of the squad, thinking of Bernie Sanders, thinking of Ed Markey. And there are a lot of organizers in Texas as well. Uh, Mike Siegel comes to mind, someone who ran for Congress and has built strong relationships between environmental communities and labor communities who are leading the charge on the political standpoint as we sort of create the conditions to for there to be more broad public support for strong climate action that creates millions of good jobs. Indeed. And I'll ask this to all of you all, too. As usual, we have our choir <laughs> among us. What do you feel needs to be done to bring some of the others into the fold? Grace. Yeah, I think that's kind of the biggest hurdle that we see. People that are into this are into it, and they're doing their thing. Um, we call it an orientation challenge at EarthForce. So essentially, adults are the people that we um, see kind of get in the way here. Adults are stuck thinking that young people can't make a change, and it's not really worth building those skills or like giving them space to share their stories and their voice. And so we try and really make it personal for them and connect their lived experience with others. So it's really, in our view, an exercise in empathy building and fostering that connection among your fellow human um, and really trying to see the world from their perspective. So we have a suite of kind of tools and exercises and videos to help adults 
kind of get out of the way and help um, facilitate young people in owning their voice and power. Indeed. And Ehrman, what do you see as perhaps the biggest hurdle to the youth's activism and policy and action? I'll take the question in a slightly different way. I think what we have to do is tell a really clear and compelling story about how this is going to benefit everyone. And I think people might feel one way or another about climate action, but people feel strongly about good jobs. 70% of the country supports the federal jobs guarantee and really kind of showing how providing people with good jobs is connected to stopping the climate crisis, is connecting to not totally addressing, but partially addressing systemic racism and income inequality uh, is a really powerful thing. And I also think that youth have the ability through their moral voice and the sacrifices that they're making, the numbers that they turn out to their rallies and actions to shift the public consciousness. And that's one of the things that Sunrise is really focused on. And what about you, Elizabeth? You want to weigh in on that in terms of what you might see as perhaps the biggest obstacles? Yeah, I definitely agree with what um, has been said already, but something I definitely just want to add on, especially as a young person who's doing a lot of this work, is that something that's always been a big hurdle is sustainability and capacity and making sure that all of the work that we're doing is sustainable for young people who are still in middle school and high school, young people who are doing sports, who are trying to work jobs to help their families out, who are literally experiencing like what a, being a teenager is at the same time that we're experiencing all these catastrophes going on in the world. And I think it can be really hard because you feel like you always have to be doing something. And it's also, um, I know that's something that a lot of other organizers that I work with struggle with is taking care of ourselves because we're so busy trying to take care of not only the planet um, and achieve climate justice, but because climate justice isn't just talking about climate change and it's talking about so many other issues like racial inequities, um, economic inequalities, and all of these other things, it can be like a lot um, to ensure that we have the capacity to do this and to make sure that it's sustainable. Um, so I feel like that's definitely a big hurdle and something that we're always trying to work around um, and making sure that it's something that young people can continuously do. Indeed, and that was so well stated and succinct, Elizabeth. We're going to go to break now, but after we come back, we're going to take up some more on that point. Thank you. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, interactive experiences, and now EarthX streaming TV. Our other sponsors, Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available online free for download at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Garden, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsors, Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body, 
Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. This is the last part of today's show on Earth Day 2021, Restoring Our Earth, Mitigation and Restoration. Specifically, we're talking about youth leading the way in policy and action, and we are here wrapping up with our very stellar panel of youth-oriented activism and policy organizations. We have Ariman Singhal with Sunrise Movement Dallas. We have Elizabeth Ibera, who is putting us all to shame at 16 years old with Youth Versus Apocalypse. And we have Grace Edinger with Earth Force. Again, thank you all for being with us. And right before we went to break, Elizabeth was telling us really about some of the obstacles and challenges as it relates to their activity, specifically how they have to deal with or challenged by sustaining the effort among youth because of the other things going on in their life at 16 and 17 and 15. you got a lot going on in your life, primary, which is school. <laughs> so thank you for reminding us of that. But it also highlights even more the significance and the importance of what you're doing and why everyone should care. You have a voice that is being listened to, a voice that comes with more moral authority than the rest of ours because you don't have an agenda. And so we have to care. And I, for one, am thankful that you're out there on the front lines making the earth and making life better for people like me. So what would you say in your experience is key to successful youth advocacy? Elizabeth, start us out on that. Yeah, uh, these that's a really good question, actually. I feel like it's always like a bunch of things that are overlapping, um, like everything. But one thing that I would definitely say is social media, especially during a time where we're living in a virtual world where we're no longer able to go out and have like huge climate strikes and go in front of uh, board meetings and um, things like that. Definitely social media has been a key factor in reaching as many people as we can, especially young people who already spend a lot of time online on Instagram, on Twitter. So I feel like um, through social media, we've just been continuing to grab and pull all these people in from different ages and different backgrounds, people who actually experience environmental racism or people who are just like want to be an ally to the communities and things like that. So definitely I would say social media is a key factor. Indeed. Thank you, Elizabeth. Grace, what have you seen as key to successful advocacy? And also, Grace, talk to us about how you have seen things change in your organization's area of work. Yeah. So I think broadly speaking, there are three keys to activism at, at any age, really, but specifically in that kind of like foundational developmental stage of middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is knowledge. The second is skills. And the third is the motivation to actually do something. Um, and over the last few years, we've actually seen a huge uptick in interest from teachers, in interest from young people, um, and other organizations, other environmental organizations, to add this civic piece, this policy piece to their work. 
One last thing for you too, Grace, and that is, do you think or have you heard conversation that perhaps youth activists should or should not be held to the same standards of accuracy and content as experienced adults are given more leeway because they're youth? That's an interesting question, Bernice. Um, I think that young people can be held to the same standards. They are people that have the ability to acquire knowledge and to learn and grow. And so I, I personally think we should hold everybody to a standard um, that is the same, regardless of age. I do think, though, when working with young people as adults, there is an important need to allow that space for growth. Um, a lot of the time, young people don't necessarily have the skills and understanding of how to acquire and kind of validate information and really check for accuracy. And so you need to help build that skill, right? And then um, once that's set, though, I think in presentations and public speaking, I think everyone should be held to the same standards. Indeed, and that's what your organization does. And it's been my experience in terms of interacting and interviewing with youth activists that in many cases, like we see today with Lisbeth, <laughs> they put the rest of us to shame. <laughs> and as Lisbeth mentioned earlier, it's about their own lived experience. And that's real, and that's truth, and that's factual. But I put that question out there because I've seen it posed out there. So thank you for weighing in on that, particularly from your organization's perspective and where you sit. By being an educating organization, you see them and you do help to supply that content. Moving on to Ariman, what do you see, Ariman, as the key for successful advocacy? And then after that, how have you seen things change in your organization's area of interest or the way you guys do things? I think for us to be successful, we really have to bring a multiracial and cross-class group of people into this movement. And that can be really challenging, especially when a lot of the people who have been involved in climate fights historically have been upper class and typically more white. And I think, you know, we are always working to become a space that is more, not just more welcoming, but like changing some of the systems and like subtle oppressions that people of color and low-income people experience in organizing spaces. And it's definitely not perfect, uh, but it's something we're always trying to get better at. And um, I, th I think that's really important for building the movement we need to win. And I think in, it, in addition to that, just like continually telling each other our stories and reminding ourselves, what do we personally have to gain from this? What do you personally have to gain from this? What do our communities have to gain from this? And staying grounded in that shared interest that we have in a better future. And Araman, how have you seen things change in Sunrise Movement Dallas over the few years that you've been involved? How have you seen things change as a result of your past successes or shortfallings? I mean, I think that we have done a lot of work to, to really reach out to our communities. And one of the ways we do that is through mutual aid work and really being grounded in those communities and having our members kind of take, take the lead and help us make those connections. And not just doing that, not just doing that work, but like just knowing that it's important and that we can't win politically if we're not also deeply grounded and invested in the communities that we're serving. 
Indeed. I like when you said that mutual aid work makes a difference. Ehrman, you all are planning something important in a few weeks for your Earth Day 2021. You want to tell us about that? Sure, yeah. And we're going to, it's not happening on Earth Day because there's a lot of planning involved. Right. But young people in the Gulf Coast are going to be walking 400 miles from New Orleans to Houston to demand guaranteed good jobs for guaranteed survival. As young people in the Gulf South, we're living in constant crisis. The hurricane, superstorms, the freeze, the pandemic. And it's an emergency, but we also know it's not an accident. Uh, there's always money for CEOs, for politicians and their friends to um, build oil wells, petrochemical plants, border walls, jails, et cetera. And that money is kept from our communities and the people who need it. And so we're gonna do this walk to take that money back, put it back in the hands of the communities that it belongs to, give it back to people like us. And we're ultimately ending in Houston, the oil capital of the country, home to some of our most corrupt politicians to demand good guaranteed jobs so that everyone can thrive. And those folks are going to give it to us. So we're really excited about that. Tell us, though, when the walk starts and where it starts from and when it ends and then how people can get involved or support y'all. Yeah, wonderful. So we're going to start in early to mid-May and we're going to end in mid to late June. The exact dates are still a little bit up in the air. The best way to support us right now, we have a Gmail account set up. It's young people for good jobs. The four is a number. So young people for good jobs at gmail.com. Send us uh, a note there. We would especially love to get in touch with people who want to help amplify the story, uh, people who want to support not just us financially, but the partners and environmental justice groups we're going to be meeting with, some of whom have been doing this work much, much longer than we have. Uh, and there, we will always need support just in amplifying and, and sharing and using this as a way to shift the political conversation. So we would love for anyone to get in touch with us. Again, it's youngpeopleforgoodjobs at gmail.com before is a number. Indeed, and we'll put it on our website. Thank you so much for being with us, Ehrman. Grace, do you have one last thing to say in terms of what ordinary people can do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions for this? I think my biggest takeaway is get involved in your local politics. It's a great place to start, even just by perusing your city or township's website and understanding who represents you a little bit more, getting their email address or phone number, and just chatting. You're their constituent, and that's their job to talk to you. Thank you, Grace. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. Half a second, Elizabeth. <laughs> Parting words in terms of what ordinary people can do in their everyday lives to drive solutions and help support us. Yeah, uh, definitely just make sure you're amplifying young people who are on the front lines, um, always amplifying their voices, people who have been facing the consequences of climate change for the longest. Of course, like everyone is affected by, is going to be affected by the climate crisis at one point or another, but there's people who have been facing the consequences and have been doing the work for the longest. So we have to remember that we have to amplify and uplift their voices. Thank you so much. And thank all of you all for being with us today. You really made us smarter and impressed us by the work that's being done out there by youth in terms of their activism activities, as well as the policy work. So thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, 
in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourself. Each of them can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you, and join us again next week for our last episode on Earth Day 2021. Thank you.